When were the... What schools... Who decides what the next... Where's that story? Why they keep the loop? What is this? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions... About Chicago, the region, and its people. I'm Natalie Moore, a reporter at WBEZ Southside Bureau. I'm answering a question about black businesses that touches on a controversial idea. Namely, that segregation could have had an upside for black Chicagoans, otherwise hurt by discrimination. The question's from Claire Butterfield, who lives in Bronzeville. Claire knows that the Southside neighborhood was huge in black history. The Great Migration began a century ago, and black Southerners flocked to Bronzeville and made it part of a kind of black Wall Street. Claire also knows things changed. I now live in Bronzeville and um, on the north end of of that community, and there's just not a lot of businesses there, and they're not black-owned for the most part. So that was the question, you know, where did they go? What happened to them? Claire is not the only one who's wondered how Bronzeville lost that thriving business climate. It's a very interesting question, and it's not unusual that a person, say, in his or her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, might have this question. This is Christopher Reed, an emeritus professor of history at Roosevelt University. Reed is one of the go-to scholars on black Chicago, and he happened to catch the tail end of Bronzeville's heyday. His father owned a three-chair barbershop there. I remember walking up and down 35th Street with him and seeing black businesses in abundance restaurants, and I can still taste the food at a place called Priscilla's. I saw a mound of pork chops and a great big container of grits and another one of mashed potatoes. As for Claire's question about where so many businesses like this went? On 35th Street, blacks did own businesses probably from the late 20s on. Those businesses that existed were hurt tremendously by the Great Depression that started in 1930. That's just one part of the explanation, though. Claire herself wondered whether racial integration may have worked against these businesses. Here's the rationale. Before 1948, racially restrictive covenants barred white homeowners from selling to blacks. That forced blacks of all incomes to cluster together in overcrowded neighborhoods. The idea is that these circumstances and lack of competition supported black-owned business owners, from sausage makers to dentists. When these covenants were deemed unconstitutional in 1948, the black population spread and black businesses lost out. But there are problems with this theory. The scholars who wrote the seminal book, Black Metropolis, point out that in 1938, Bronzeville actually had more white-owned businesses than black ones. And the black-owned businesses received less than one-tenth of the money that black people spent. Those businesses faced other hurdles, too. Stephen Rogers teaches black entrepreneurship at Harvard University. In the 1940s, when we saw uh, blacks in the business world, the only support that black-owned businesses had was through guerrilla financing, that's self-financing, or through family. We didn't see that institutional support that we saw with white-owned companies. And the reality is when that happens, when that's in existence, you won't see the prosperous businesses as we see in the white communities. And that left black businesses vulnerable as they faced challenge after challenge in the decades to come. Again, the question is, where did black businesses go, especially after 1948, when restrictive covenants were made illegal? There are no clear numbers before and after 1948, but we do know the black population began to disperse by the 1950s. That had an effect. 
but so did urban renewal and local redevelopment. The expansion of Lake Meadows, Prairie Shores, Michael Reese Hospital, Mercy Hospital, and the Illinois Institute of Technology led to the displacement of thousands of black families from State Street east over to the lake, from 26th Street south to about 35th. This was a devastating blow to black demographic unity, and it affected business operations adversely along 35th Street. The customers had moved away. And something else happened, something that gets to Claire's observation that today, many of Bronzeville's businesses are not black-owned. What happened to the businesses happened to a lot of businesses in America once the um, economy was transformed by the, um, the global economy's dominance. Today's 35th Street has a multinational flair, McDonald's, Chase Bank, Subway, and Popeyes. The basic pattern was that black businesses moved into neighborhoods that black people moved into. So where did Bronzeville's black-owned businesses go? They were undercut by the Depression, a global economy, and urban renewal. And they were also hurt by racist lending practices. But there's another answer some of these businesses survived. Norman Williams is personally involved in two examples from the neighborhood. First, he's the chairman of Illinois Service Federal, a black-owned savings and loan that's been around since 1934. The bank lent to black customers when commercial banks would not. And Williams is the president of Unity Funeral Parlors. It was started in 1937. My father came to Chicago as an insurance executive. And the funeral home was an idea that came to him. The average funeral in our community in those days was less than $500. This was an entrepreneurial idea that came to him that he hoped his family would be able to continue. And it did continue. When Williams' dad started the business, white funeral homes did not serve blacks. The family business survived integration because of family and personal relationships. The funeral industry was one of the last to integrate. Is it even integrated today? In most parts of Chicago, it's not. Uh, It is only in bits and pieces. And if Chicago's African Americans are no longer strictly clustered in the black belt, the same is true for black businesses. They're not limited to Bronzeville. They're in black neighborhoods throughout the city. And they've had an impact. Again, Stephen Rogers of Harvard. Everyone should know Black Chicago has always been recognized as the crown jewel of Black-owned businesses throughout the country. The Black business community in Chicago is responsible for some historic events in our country. Historic events like financing the election of the city's first Black mayor and the country's first Black president. Reporting this week came from me, Natalie Moore. Thanks to Claire Butterfield for asking the question. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible is offering Curious City listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. 
Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City and download a title and start listening on your iPhone, iPad, Kindle, Android device, Windows phone, or over 500 different MP3 devices. Audible suggests Curious City listeners may enjoy books about Chicago like There Are No Children Here or County, Life, Death, and Politics at Chicago's Public Hospital. That's at audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City. Next time on Curious City, gym shoes on power lines. It's not easy getting them up there. You do more missing than you do getting it, that's for sure. You're going to be throwing that thing up there for a few minutes. The how and why of shoe tossing. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.